Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thank you for listening in. Uh, we are in our Advent series, and what we're doing is we're just preparing our hearts to receive at Christmas. The Christmas season can be crazy, it can be busy, and it can stifle our souls. But what we want to do is we want to prepare our hearts to remember the meaning of Christmas and to receive all that God has for us in this season. We're going to read God's Word together. So good to see you guys, and just remember during this time, you guys, this is the word of the Lord. We get to soak this in. I pray that this would just enrich us this morning. We're going to read from Isaiah 40, starting in verse 26 all the way to 31. It goes like this. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives us He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall and exhausted. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is God's word. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. We ask you to bless this time. Be with us. Help us grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. You may be seated again. I might have you guys stand up again later. I'm kidding. That's it for a while, guys. You can settle down, be comfy. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Marius. Uh, Jess and I, we get to, my wife Jess and I, we get to be part of this community, and we're glad you're here. We want to welcome you guys. This is your first time here, uh, or this is your uh, everyday home. We're just glad you're here this morning with us. Um, I know we had Thanksgiving behind us. Uh, maybe you have still more Thanksgiving to do tonight or later this week. Um, but uh, I think we can all agree that Christmas is approaching fast. Um, check, uh, everybody, raise your hand real quick. When did you put your Christmas tree up? Before Thanksgiving or after? Who did it before? Before Thanksgiving? Come on, guys. Who did after? Where are the, the real people at? Who hasn't even put it up yet? Anybody still like not even have up? Okay. This, all right. So we have everybody in the room. Everybody. Great. Uh, well, uh, Christmas is coming up fast. I know we've got Christmas parties being booked. The shopping has started. The decorations coming out. Uh, every house in the neighborhood is more and more becoming Christmassy looking. Uh, and it's an exciting time, but it also can be a distracting time. And uh, I think we have to fight the push and pulls from all different directions this Christmas season to get us distracted from what's really going on. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Do you have fa- yeah, anybody has uh, Facebook? I should probably ask that first. Who has Facebook still in here? Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Who doesn't have Facebook? Raise your hand right now if you don't have Facebook. Okay. All right. All right. Well, on Facebook, for those who don't know, uh, there's, there's some crazy people on Facebook. Uh, I have a couple of friends on, on Facebook that are always, they want to be streets ahead. And they always, if, if, if the media says something or the media is pushing something, they're like, well, what are they distracting us from? What's really going on here? Anybody have those friends? 
Okay, well, this is the kind of spirit we actually need this holiday season. We got to ask ourselves, what's really going on, right? We don't want to get distracted with all the stuff and all the, all the things and the activities and the calendar appointments, but we got to remember what's really going on, which is the arrival of Christ, the birth of Christ. And we want to take time as your, as your individual family, make sure you take room to be intentional about that, to remember his coming is what it's all about. Now, we're about to enter our Advent series, and for those of you who don't know what Advent is, here's about the best summer you can find. Uh, put it on the screen, I'll read it out real quick. Advent is a four-week season in the church calendar dedicated to anticipating the arrival of, or Advent of Jesus of Nazareth, the long-awaited Messiah and King. Um, and Christians from many backgrounds celebrate this time with a reflection on hope, peace, love, and joy. And while their practices may look different, all focus on the hope-filled arrival of Jesus. That's from Tim Mackey and What is Advent? The hope-filled arrival of Jesus. Hope. What a powerful idea. Nations rise and fall on the idea of hope. People thrive or slowly fade away based on what they put their hope in. What is hope? And how do we as Christians live with hope when God seems silent? When things seem dark? When we are waiting? They had to keep waiting and waiting. It felt like God was nowhere to be found. We all kind of know that feeling of waiting or silence. I don't know about you guys, but growing up, uh, if you ever texted a crush and you sent them something sweet, and then you had to you send it out, you click send, and you sit there, and you have to wait and wait. You have the phone in your hand, you're staring, you're trying to find out what's going on. Now, these days, these new people, they have these dots in your iPhone where you can see if they're texting something or not. Back then, we didn't have that. Back then, you said, like, call me at 5, and you had to wait next to the phone, and then at 5, they didn't call. You're like, what happened? Did we not make an appointment or whatever? We had to wait. The waiting was a reality for all of us. Thank you. Welcome, guys. Uh, or maybe uh, in a work context, you sent an email before. You wrote up an email where maybe you highlighted a problem, or you wanted to, like, get something moving, and you're like, okay, this is the best email I ever wrote. You even ended with sincerely, you know, like, that's how you ended it. That's how serious you were about it. And you sent it out, and then nothing. You wait again. Nobody responds to it. Your supervisor doesn't care about it. It's like the bottom of the pile for them, and you're just sitting there waiting. Or maybe somebody says, I'll get back with you on this one. Anybody been told that before? I'll get back with you on this one, and nothing, nobody gets back with you on anything. They, they just forgot about it. You're waiting and waiting. One time, my waiting abilities were tested when we were applying for my green card um, from Germany, if you couldn't tell by, by, by now. Um, but we had to get a legal status for me, so we're living here for a while, and then uh, my visa ran out, so I had to get a green card. A lot of people think when you get married to an American, that's my wife, Jess, you automatically, like, you're in, you're locked in. It's not like that at all. You still have to do progress. So I had to go to a doctor to get my vaccinations checked. I had to go to legal counsel. I had to get paperwork. I had to get stuff notarized and translated. And, it's, and we shipped off like an, almost like a big book off to the government and said, hey, I'd like to have a green card, please. So I sent it out uh, in the beginning of the year. And uh, my legal term was over in that fall. So I had a date where, at that point, I'll be illegally in the country. So I was like, okay, there should be nine, six months, something like that. Should be enough time to get my green card. Well, the more and more the data approaches, no green card, nowhere. I have call, no emails, no nothing. I'm just waiting, sitting here, waiting and waiting. And then the day arrived, I was illegal. Uh, the day arrived, my legal status ran out, and it was about that time of 2016 election time. So things were a little bit tight and a little bit tense around the uh, legal immigrants. Uh, so I was really worried. Uh, I got so bad that I had Jess drive me around. I wouldn't drive the car anymore. I'm like, I'm not getting caught. I'm not getting pulled over, and then that's how I find out. Uh, <laughs> 
I became the most polite and law-abiding citizen. You should have seen me. I was saying hi to everybody. I was being kind. I was holding the door for everybody. It was, I, was, uh, I was not trying to stand out. I was trying to be nice. I basically wore like a helmet and knee pads to make sure I don't get injured so that when they check me into the hospital, then they would find out I'm actually illegal here. So I, I stopped being out. I was hiding in my room in the dark. And for those deep trackers of you guys, I even stopped using my phone and my credit card because, you know, they've been tracking me. I, I didn't want to get tracked. But it really was a feeling of unknown. We didn't know if we were approved. We didn't know if we could plan a life here. I mean, I don't know if at that point we were, we don't have kids yet, but like that's all in the conversation, right? So we, it was unknown. We were waiting. And we could, nothing, we could do anything about it. But one day, finally, my green card came in, and I was back legal again. And to celebrate, I got in the car, and I ran a stop sign just because I could show everybody what's up. No, I didn't do that. But I did get my green card, and I finally had what I was waiting for. I arrived, and um, it was a beautiful day. But today, we, we want to remember, sorry, guys. But some of you guys have lost the hope in better days because maybe you have been praying for something for months now. Maybe you have been believing for a breakthrough for years. Maybe you have family members right now that you've been praying for for months, years, and nothing's happening. And you feel like nothing is happening. It almost feels as though God is being silent. But we have to remember that God is working even in the waiting. And today we want to look at a time that's hard for us to imagine and where there was a lot of waiting going on. And it's called the 400 years of silence or the intertestamental time. That's the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We call it the 400 years of silence because during that time, God was nowhere to be found. He didn't speak to a prophet. He didn't uh, use somebody to speak his words. There, there was no appearances. There's nothing. It was just nothing was happening with God. Now, here's the cliff notes. I'm going to take the cliff notes of this because this looks very complicated for some of you guys. Uh, don't, don't get stressed out, guys. So it's going to be just a, a brief stint here. Um, but uh, when we finish the Old Testament, we're in the scene right here at 400 BC uh, where a lot of the Jews returned back to Judea. They returned back to their land. They were just captivated and sent off to Babylon and other places. But they were able to come back. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls like we know from Nehemiah. But the Persian Empire was still ruling over them. Now, as the Persian Empire is seeing its engineering, and that's also prophesied by Daniel, if you read uh, the book of Daniel, a new star arose in the world of empires and kingdoms, Alexander the Great. We'll see him right here. And he introduced the Greek rule over the Jewish people. So from that point on, Alexander the Great was taking over everything. He was running the show, but then he died really young. And when he died, there was like five generals that split the, the, the kingdom, and it was bad from the beginning, and there's a lot of fighting. And it says right here, what does it say right there? Lots and lots of fighting for years, all right? And then in the middle of all that, we have our um, uh, Israelites. They were stuck in the middle of that. But in the end, they were liberated by no other empire than the Romans, which we all know play a big part in the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to cover later on right here. So that's kind of to give you a little bit of a historical timeline of what happened there. But we want to see how we can be reminded to live with hope even when God seems silent. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. Here's what I want to propose to you today. Christian hope is not like any other forms of hope in our culture has to offer. And it differs from our culture in three ways. First, the Christian hope is real. It's real. Second one, the Christian hope is comprehensive. And the third, the, the Christian hope is transformative. 
Point one, if you're taking notes, you have the bulletins as you walk in, you all can, always can grab them. They have notes for you guys there to take. But the point one is Christian hope is real. And we're going to look at Isaiah 40, 28 as we go through our text. Uh, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He's everlasting. He created the earth. Everything here is because of him. He is real. And as a backdrop to these points, it's important to know some historical backgrounds of the arrival of Jesus, the embodiment of Christian hope. The Bible tells a cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation. But we've kind of separated the Bible in Old and New Testament, right? OT, uh, NT, Old Testament, New Testament. But it's merely a concept, just like our timekeeping. I want you to think about for a second. Right now, we're in the year of what? Anybody? Y'all know yours years, guys? Okay, let's try again. What year, got, what year are we in right now? 2023 AD, right? AD means the year of the Lord. So 2020, uh, 2023. Now, before that, everything was counted by BC days, right? We had the graph up a second ago. That was before Christ. Now, just because something happened in the BC days uh, doesn't mean it didn't happen now, right? When we look back at it, it all happened. It's just a dividing point in the chronological uh, time space. So everything that happened in BC still happened. Just because we put a, put a dot in the middle doesn't mean it didn't happen. And the same goes for the Testaments. They're connected, but they're merely separated for chronological purposes. It is not an indicator of importance. They're connected. They tell a full story. Um, now, if we start reading this Bible, we start in Genesis in the beginning, Genesis 1, and when we keep going, at some point we'll find ourselves in Malachi 4, with the last verse being Malachi 4, 6. And that's the last time God spoke to the prophet of Malachi to deliver a word to, the, to God's people. And then when we read our physical Bibles, I know it's hard for us to imagine these days, or when you do one more scroll, we go from here, one over, we're in Matthew. With one physical turn of one page or one scroll down to the next chapter on your phone, we're going from Malachi to Matthew. In Matthew, we pick up the family tree from Jesus where Matthew is basically highlighting throughout the whole Old Testament of where was Jesus' parents and their parents and their parents and their parents all the way leading up to Jesus. Now, what we can miss here with one page turner, we could miss 400 years of what happened, 400 years of anticipation and 400 years of longing and waiting from the Jewish people. And it's easy for us to say, okay, they're there in trouble. Next one, oh, Jesus is there. It's great but there was a lot of time in between. And today we're gonna look at that time together a little bit. Now this 400 years period of waiting was dominated by the longing for the arrival of the king. Every period that we showed the different rulers and different oppressors, they always wanted to have their king of Israel come and liberate Israel from her enemies. And in this time, the Israelites put their hope in other things. They put their hope in what culture had to offer. And you can imagine if the Greeks and the Romans roll in, they had a whole lot more culture to offer than what was there previously. They also put their hope in, a, in religion. As you guys know, a lot of these uh, empires and uh, kings, they had all different kind of gods. For everything was a different god, and you could pray to them. Others put their hopes in politics. They said, I'll join the fight. If you can't beat him, join him. I'm going to be part of the Greek system and you know, get rich myself or start taxing uh, with the Romans, taxing my own people. Some of others put their hopes in zeal and purity. This was the early groups of the Pharisees that believed that we're going to hold on tight and we will make extra rules. And then whoever breaks one of those rules, they're out. They're not part of the group anymore. And that's what they put their hope in. But the point is that while they were waiting, they found lesser forms of hope to put their trust in. So what is hope? 
Hope, according to the Bible, is to trust in, wait for, look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. And hope, as Hebrews uh, shows, uh, shows us, is the building block of a strong faith. Look at this verse together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, then conviction of things not seen. So we have to have hope to be able to put our faith in something. It's a building block for, for our faith. Now, our culture has many forms of hope that we put our faith in. This is for us now. The biggest one is the modern idea of progress. This idea suggested we can put our hope in the fact that each generation will get better and better and better. That we will improve by just becoming a greater as a culture and greater as people. And it asks us to put our faith in progress. Because we, you know, we always get better. We always get better, allegedly. This idea is wound up in the pursuit of the first generation believing that if they work hard, the next generation will have it better than they did. We, put our work, we, put, we make our works our hope. This idea holds up for people who say, if we have the right political party in power, then it will be better for the next generation. Our government is our hope. Or this idea holds that if we work harder and advance technologically, we will become better. Our success and achievements are our hopes. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, and if I'm being honest with myself, it's easy for me to find myself in those categories. Because it's the easier option, right? It's easy for us to put our hopes and say, yeah, things will get better if we just all work hard. And if I do my part, then I know we'll get better. And you know, I love structure, I love routine, and I want to control things. I think we all kind of have that in us. Um, but when hard things come and problems arise, my first instinct is to put my hope in my skills. So if something happens and, I don't know, as a family we have a problem, I'm going to be, okay, how can I solve this problem? Have I done this before? Have I read something about this? Let me just get on this and, 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 and solve this problem. My next instinct is to call my network. You know, you all have people, right? Let me call, let me call my buddy. He might know that answer. Maybe I can call a lawyer I know. I'll call a, a doctor I know. Maybe they can help us with this. And we call all the people that we know our network. And then we go to our people and ourselves, but we never go to God first in our hope. And I want to ask you, what are you prone to put your hopes in? Do you think you have everything and every capability to make it all work by yourself? That the fate of your family and your kids and your grandkids is determined by your works and your efforts? And that's a good start. But does it leave any room for eternal hope? If we can do it all by ourselves and our works and our network and our people, where is the eternal hope? Is there any hope for your eternal destination if you solve your problems like that? Now, last time, I wanted you to do this little experiment with you guys, and I want you to really get into this for a second. Picture yourself, last time a loved one, somebody in your family or close to you, they were facing a problem. They were in danger, or they got a diagnosis or something. How did you respond? What was your go-to? Picture yourself. Got the call. I don't know. You sit in front of them. They tell you the problem. What's your go-to? Because I'll tell you that your response is an indicator of what you put your hope in. It's an indicator of that. Whatever is you, you go to, like, okay, well, we can do, or I, can, I know this person. That's the response. It's an indicator of what you put your hope in. But this idea of progress is all a myth. The 20th century showed that we don't progress to become better and better. We actually we implode. The founder of Dubai, King Rashid, said this when he was asked about the future of his country. He replied, my grandfather, he rode on a camel, 
My father rode on a camel. I drive in a Mercedes. My son's driving a Land Rover. My grandson is going to ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. The progress, the progress is not going to work forever. Every empire that we've heard about earlier, there's about a 240-year lifespan on empires, roughly. That's when they always went, to, went down. And then the two, 400 years, and they went down again. It's never going to get better. It's not progress. This kind of cultural hope is not real hope. It's wishful thinking. It's more like believing a lie or a fantasy. But Christian hope is different. Christian hope is about a person who died and rose again. Our hope is not a dream or a wish. It's a person. And Jesus' resurrection shows us that the life we never could even imagine or think of is waiting for us. Let's look at 1 Peter uh, 1.3. All praise to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ, the real hope, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. That's real, guys. That's the real, the real hope we have. That was point one, Christian hope is real. Point two is Christian hope is comprehensive. Let's look back into our text we started off with and kind of see how we can uh, see the comprehensiveness of our God. Show the verse, uh, if you don't mind. We're back in Isaiah 40, 26 to 27. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. That's pretty comprehensive. Keep going on this one, I think. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Or Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? I've never heard. Have you never understood the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? That's pretty comprehensive, guys. During the 400 years of waiting, we discussed earlier, the Jews thought they had a big picture idea of what's, what's going to bring a solution to this. They had a hope and salvation that they would have a king coming at some point who would come in, with arms blazing, he's going to take over the world, he's going to finally kick the Greeks out, finally kick the Romans out, and maybe even, I don't know, in reverse, hit the Persians somehow because they deserved it too. And that's, that was their goal. They were imagining a king coming in and finally ridding Israel of all his enemies and be this victorious guy who's going to sit on top of the throne for everybody to see that Israel is back on the map, they did it, and they finally are victorious. That was their vision. But... It didn't happen. They had to keep waiting and keep waiting. And uh, to kind of illustrate the, the mindset of the Israelites, I, I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, was it tug of war, I think, right? Tug of war. Um, when I wrote the sermon, I, for days, I could not remember the word for that. And actually, I wrote down, and I think this is a better description of it, honestly, is pulling rope contest. So <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about, pulling rope contest. So uh, this tug of war, uh, I think last sermon I said tug of rope. So it's, it's, it's all bad. Uh, um, it's my second language, so uh, bear with me. But basically, I, wanna, I want you to imagine for a second, we got these empires on each side, and then there's the rope in the middle. And in the rope, there's always that little, like, this, I don't know, blue bandana tied to the middle or something like that, right? And it's, or like a red line or something. And that point, whenever that goes over here, that empire wins. And then when it's over here, this empire wins, right? And the Israelites were basically stuck in the middle. 
They were getting pulled to this side one day, then the next king arose and he wanted this over here. Some let them have their religious freedom, some just uh, uh, wanted them to conform to everything that they were doing and they forced their gods on them. Some actually destroyed the temple and desecrated it and some actually let them worship their god. And they were in the middle for 400 years being torn left and right in this pulling rope contest. But that's the mindset they were operating out of. And in their mind, the only way to stop this from continuing to go on is a, is a mighty king is going to come in and finally shut it all down. But once Jesus arrived, after all this waiting, after all this turmoil, all this trouble they've been to, and the way he arrived, a lot of Jews were disappointed. They, couldn't, they wouldn't want to believe that, that that's their king. He was born in a manger. That's not what they wanted. They wanted a royal king to come in and take over. But they were disappointed because their vision of the Messiah was not lining up with what Jesus was doing. They couldn't believe it. But their problem was that their plans and ideas were actually far too small. God had much bigger and different plans. When our culture offers us hope, it's hope in us, hope in humanity, our ability to accomplish just that, or it's the hope in government or president. And today, we still face those same questions. We don't have the turmoil of our country being war-raged and we never know who is in charge anymore, but we do have political turmoil in our country ourselves. And I know some of you guys get a little bit nervous, but we're gonna bring up the, the next year, which is gonna be an election year, and I wanna give you guys a pastoral heads up with this coming up. Because everything next year will rage against you to try to convince you or even seduce you to put your hope in a political party. But you are going to have to continuously evaluate the sources of your hope because governments don't last, political parties don't last, empires, kingdoms, nothing lasts besides Jesus Christ who came for us and is our hope. And only if we put our hope in him, we'll have everlasting life, nothing else. Culture offers us hope in our government, social institutions, education, but these hopes are too small. They can never actually save us. But the Christian hope is far more comprehensive. It starts with a first century Palestinian Jew, a carpenter named Jesus from Nazareth, who came, taught on the earth, walked the earth, healed people, and then died for our sins. And he's died for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he rose again, showing us that God's intention to redeem and restore his entire creation to an amazing glory is actually bursting forth in our present reality. And we see that right now. Our Christian hope is a hope that encompasses not just life after death, but hope for the entire, entire creation right now. In our day, right where you're at, there's hope for you and for eternity. Colossians 1, 19, 20 says this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. Everything, no matter how bad it is, everything was reconciled back to him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's our hope. Through Christ's blood, we can have hope in the actual present times that we're in, but also know that we're going to join him in heaven for eternity. That's how comprehensive our hope is. Nothing else can give you that. Christian hope is real. That was our first point. Second point was Christian hope is comprehensive. And our last point is Christian hope is transformative. 
Let's look at this verse in Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, and look at the transformation in that verse, and that's something that's also available for us. No one can measure the depth of, the, of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, power to the weak, and strength to the powerless. That could be us. That's the transformational power and hope that we have in Jesus. Strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion, but he will never fail us. He doesn't run out. He doesn't get tired of us because we have a hope that can be transformative for our lives. Now, as we discussed, in that time of waiting, the Jews put their hopes in many things, but none of them were the right things. Only Christian hope can truly save. We can't put our faith and hope in our homes, our bank accounts, our looks, our bodies, or even our children. We can't put our hope in them. Because if any of these things implode, so will we, we will shatter. Our lives will end, our lives will feel like a tragedy. None of these have power to save us, to heal us, to transform us. So how do we live out this transformative power in a world that is advertising anything but this true hope in Christ? Everything else is off offered, anything else is an option. But how do we stay true to, to hope in Christ, to be transformed by Him? And the early Jews, this was before the 40s of silence in the exile, they actually found a way to do that. And this is how Tim Mackey puts it. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. Loyalty and subversion. Now the conflict here is that God is calling us to plant and to take roots and to even be a blessing to the cities we're in. We're supposed to be a blessing to Little Rock. We're supposed to be a blessing to our neighborhoods, regardless of what's going on around us. No matter how adverse the cities and circumstances are to God, but while we do that, He also tasks us to hold on to hope in Jesus, to stay close to Him and every day be transformed more and more and more to His image. And so that, and this is what I want you to listen up, so that those around you, around us, can see Him through our actions and can see Him but through who we are. They will look at you and see that you're different, that you don't do what the world is doing. You have a standard, you have a loyalty to God, and they will come because you're blessing them, you're being, you're being helpful to them, you open your house to them, and God will use that to transform their lives too. Now I have some questions I want you to ask in that matter of loyalty and subversion. Where has your loyalty to Jesus been compromised? Take a moment. The world is pulling us so hard and has so many offers and things that they say is right and they say is real. But where have you maybe found an area where you've been compromised a little bit? But God is calling you back. He's not condemning us. He's saying, hey, come back to my transformative power and I will transform you more and more into my image. And He wants to start that work today. Maybe at the response time, it's time for you to get prayer or to put a prayer down and come talk to a pastor or something. But the other question is, where have you been isolating yourself? This means you've been closing your doors, you've been peeking through the, the blinds, but you, how, you don't want to interact with nobody. And we've been isolating ourselves. That's not what God's calling us to do either. He's calling us to be a blessing to the cities and to the people around us, even if they don't believe what we believe. Even when they have hope in all different other places, but you know your hope is in Jesus. 
And at one point they will turn to you and ask you, why are you so different? Where do you put your hope in? How can you have joy in turmoil? How can you have peace when a diagnosis hit? How can you have, uh, in tragedy, you can still find joy? And you can say to Jesus Christ. That's our call. So if we live out a life being transformed more and more to his image, whilst not isolating ourselves from the people around us and their real needs, then we will have true hope. We don't need a firmer, stronger, or more powerful form of hope. If we have Jesus, we don't need the other offers. We can just say, nope, I have the real hope. You see, Christian hope allows us to put our hope in people. If you get a bad diagnosis and maybe you have cancer, we can put our hope in the medicine and the doctor, but if we can't just put our hope in that. When it's completely terminal and nothing will help, we'll be devastated unless we believe that our God is a good God. Our Christian hope tells us to trust and put our hope in God. God is all powerful. He's loving and kind and gracious and he's sovereign. He has a plan for those who love him. And for those who trust in Jesus, he will treat them like he treated his own son with a new resurrected body. So this hope is not a wishful hope. It's a firm hope in God and his sovereign plan and power. And it's not in man only. It's in what God is going to do for you and me just like he did for his son, Jesus. And this kind of hope strengthen us, strengthens us in hard times. It emboldens us when we're waiting and it can cut through any challenge. Isaiah 40, 31, and this, I believe this for you guys. Maybe you're, you're in a place right now where it feels hopeless and like you could never get back up from where you're at. Maybe you could, you're just too defeated or it just seems too dark or too far gone. I wanna read this over you specifically. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We always have hope with Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. If the light of Jesus is still shining, which is always will, there is hope for us. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. In the silence, where things seem dark and nothing is happening, but behind the scenes, God is working to fulfill His plans to send the Savior our way to break the silence once again. Sometimes we can feel just like the Jewish people did during that time. Where is God right now in this moment? Wars are raging right now. Cultural ideas that are not uh, pleasing to God or far from God are spreading like wildfires. What do we do? We anticipate the second coming of Christ. And in the meantime, we will continue to live out the call, the way of the exile, at the combination of loyalty and subversion. That's how we put our hope in, that he is coming again, but we have something to do while we're here. We gotta spread the love of Jesus to the people around us. The Israelites hope for a Messiah to come and Christ entered the world. We are hopeful for the arrival of Christ again into the world. The last part I want to talk to you is that Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We're about to enter response time, and you can put the slide up really quick. In a second, I want to pray for you guys, and I want you to take a moment and reflect and then I want you to respond. I want you to respond to what God's telling you to do. What's he, uh, what's he tugging on your heart to do? And you can either come to the sides 
leave a prayer or a praise report. There's two sizes I'm praying for and I'm thankful for. If you have some, something to share with us as a praise report, let us know. If you have some prayers you need to be covered, let us know as well. Bring those to the crosses on each side. You can light a candle left and right as well for those you're praying for. It's just a symbol of the light of Jesus breaking into the darkness. Or you can get prayer in the back. We'll have a prayer team in the back corner that would love to pray for you. But I want to leave you with three questions. And I want you to take time and reflect on that for you individually. And I want you to stay sitting down. Zach's going to ask us to stand after a couple of, a couple of moments. But I want you to reflect on these questions for you. Where in your life do you feel like there is no hope? What do you feel like God is being silent about in your life specifically? And where do you need the hope of Jesus to break in? Let me pray for us. God, Holy Spirit, come. We ask that you reveal to us right now what you're working on us, that you remind us of your hope, and that you have a plan for us to transform us, to meet us where we're at, and to walk alongside us. Holler to us what's next for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.